Hello, and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform, and it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. How do you feel when you're at work and your boss walks into the room? He's not walking in the room to see you. He's walking into the room to inspect you. You know that, un- that uneasiness that you get when the boss is there to check up on your work. Does that make sense? That there's this feeling of uncertainty. There's this feeling of uneasiness. Thank you all for, for scrambling. Um, there's this feeling of, um, of nervousness. Um, it would be the feeling that you would feel if you were a restaurant owner right? You know what I'm talking about? And the health inspector walks in unannounced. There's this sense of, oh no, is, is, is everything right? Are, are, are all the utensils in the right spot? Are the people wearing hair nets? Do they have their gloves on? I, I hope the dishes are not in disarray. I, I hope things are just right because the health inspector has walked into the building. Um, my father, just this past week when he was with us on Friday, he looks at my mom and says, the fire inspector is on site. And as a business owner who uh, runs a company and has to keep things in order so that the city and the fire inspector might be happy, um, that would cause a person to be a little nervous. About 30 minutes later, he said, I guess we're good. We'll write them their check, and they have signed off that everything is in order. So so you kind of get the understanding of, of what we're about to feel in this text, and we don't like it. We don't like being inspected, but if something's going to be done right, and if, if, if something is supposed to be done right, then it deserves inspection. I love what a great leader said, you inspect what you expect. Makes sense, doesn't it? Matter of fact, if, if I could, um, Josh, could I borrow you for just a minute and... Um, here, here's the idea. Josh, I want you to stand right here in this spot, and then I want you to do what I ask you to do, okay? Um, I'm going to speak for 10 more seconds, then I want you to sit down. Five more seconds later, I want you to stand back up and come back to that same spot. That is what's right. That is the law that I'm making for you right now. And so 10 seconds after I ask you to do that, I want you to be seated and then come back to where you're standing. Fair enough? Understand the the rule, the law? That is my expectation. All right. So um, you have to understand that an employer, an employee sets up rules and expectations so that um, health and safety and the job can be done exactly right. That's, That's fair enough. Matter of fact, let me say this. Even lost people understand that. 
Even, even unsaved people get that when I go to Walmart, there's a certain attire that I am required to wear, all right? That there's a certain thing that I have to do to fulfill that responsibility. Lost people get it. All right, so if, if I want Josh now to come with me, I should be able to say, Josh, it's better to be standing over here, okay? Now watch what happens when Josh doesn't want to do what I'm directing him to do. Does that make sense? Josh, come back over here. Josh, come. Jo Josh, there's, there, there's a snake right there. You don't, jo jo <laughs> right, right. All right, so, so you understand. Now, now, can I make this application help walk with me through this? When God designed, this is, this is an illustration. By the way, um, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is not just about this. Sodom and Gomorrah is not about homosexuality and immorality. Home... Uh, it's not about that at all. Sodom and Gomorrah is about this. God, no. That's what Sodom and Gomorrah is about. And it's interesting how we as Christians are good at elevating some sins. Well, at least I'm not like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. No, 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 no. Don't miss this. Anytime we look at God and say, God, no, I don't want to go that way. That is called sin. That is called unrighteousness. Okay, so God designs marriage. When I say design, I don't mean he just said, here's a man, here's a woman. In the design of man, in the complete design of women, he designed them to come together and be one. He never designed two men to come together and be one. He never, it doesn't fit. It's like shoving a puzzle that doesn't work. He never designed women to be together. Never, never, never. God designed it this way, and what man said was, when God said go, he said no. No, God, I have a right. I get to choose based upon love, based upon desire, based upon what I want, okay? And, and now, now this is what we're dealing with in this story. It's not about your rights. It's not about your loves, likes, and dislikes. It, it just can't be. Listen, listen to that logic. Imagine someday you're standing in Walmart. Let's just go with Walmart, can we? The boss at Walmart says, hey, Josh, tomorrow you're going to have to wear the blue apron. Josh says, I don't like the blue apron. Here's what the boss says. Then find a new job. That's the rule with following the rule comes blessings. With disobeying the rule comes cursings. You can have it your way, but go somewhere where there's not a law to wear an apron. The problem with that is within mankind, God's the ruler of all of mankind. He, he's the designer of it all. You don't have the right to tell the designer no. He loves you. He made you. He didn't have a flaw. He didn't mess up. He's not imperfect. It's not about the apron being the wrong color. God's never made the apron the wrong color. That's the issue.
That is what we're dealing with in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not about homosexuality. It's about a whole people group saying, no, God. That is what they're saying. God is saying, I want you to be righteous. And they're saying, no, we want to do it our way. And that's the text that we're looking at. Here literally is what the word means, the word righteousness. Now, that's what God is. God is righteous, and he desires righteousness. And this is what the Bible says. Lawful, good. It is the quality of being right in the eyes of God, including character, which is your nature, who you are, your conscience, that's your attitude, your conduct, your actions, and command your words. That is righteousness. By the way, by the way, God is the standard for this. The standard doesn't adjust. Watch. If God says, you know what, you're right, and I'm wrong, at that moment, he cannot be God. It's not that he changes mind. He can't be God if God has ever been wrong. He's perfect and just and right and holy in all things. And you say, but I don't agree with him. I get that. I don't either sometimes. The truth of the matter, I don't. I don't. Your issue may be homosexuality, Sodom and Gomorrah, but my issue is something else. And both are sins and both are saying no to God. Your issue may be adultery, but her issue may be uh, lying, dishonesty. All of it is is saying no God. And, and, and that's what we're dealing with in the text. So watch, Josh, I want you over here. I'm the boss. I believe this is the best spot. Would you please come here? At that moment, literally, it's one of the biggest decisions he has to make in his life because for everybody in this room, it is hard to submit ourselves to someone else anytime. Some days may be easier than others because we feel good. But you know down deep in our gut, it is hard. I mean, Warren was driving yesterday from um, northern up top of 51, North Phoenix. I'm giving him instructions. He honestly admitted, I'm from Mississippi. I've only lived here a couple of years. I don't know the way. And I still apologize for telling him how to go. Hey, dude, I'm not trying to be a boss, but you do need to get off up here on the left. Pastor, tell me how to go. There's this awkwardness sometimes of not only telling people what to do, but submitting to what people ask us to do. I mean, it happens right here in this room. I, I've asked this question in this room, and I'm, I'm not fussing at you about this. Please, please, I'm not judging. I'm, I'm showing an illustration. You have the right to do what you want to do. I've asked people, raise your hand if you are saved. And there are some people who won't raise their hand just because somebody asked them to raise their hand. I'm not going to raise my hand. I'm glad you raised your hand, Rocio. Thank you. <laughs> now, if you're not raising your hand because there's a conviction against that, there's something down in your heart and soul that says, that's just wrong, testifying that I know Jesus, and I prefer to do it this way, then I understand that. But sometimes it's just for the mere fact that somebody asked you to do something. We don't, we don't like being told what to do. That's our nature. But you're not sinning when you say no to me. I'm not, I'm not God. But we are sinning when we say no to God. Why? Righteousness is the quality of being right in the eyes of God. That's the issue. Thank you, Josh. Oh, go stand here first. I'm just kidding. Go sit down. <laughs> Jump up and down and 
sing kumbaya. So this is what we're dealing with in, in the word of God today. When we come up upon this story of Sodom and Gomorrah, this is what we're dealing with. And it was vitally important that we lay that foundation. So look here with me, if you would, in the word of God in Genesis chapter number 18. And if you'll give me permission, I'm going to skip past the dinner and the conversation we had last week and pick up with verse number 16. The Bible says, and the men rose up from thence. So remember last week, what what was happening? They, They sat around a table, they ate dinner, right? They're eating together. So when they're done eating, the men, the two men rose up from the table and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. It just simply means that Abraham was walking to see them on their way. Thanks for coming. We enjoyed the meal. Um, We'll see you later. That's what's taking place. The Bible says in verse 17, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Should, Should I not tell the man that I have called what I'm about to go do? The Bible says in verse number 18, seeing that Abraham surely shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, I wanna pause here and emphasize verse number 19. This is the heartbeat of the Sodom and Gomorrah story. We like to be good old Baptists and say the heartbeat is when the fire fell from heaven and consumed those sinners. Okay, that's not it. This is the heartbeat of the story. This is why God did what he was about to do. For I know him. How do you know him? That he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, because their cry Because the cry of Sodom, that means the outcry watch of the distress. The word cry here doesn't mean, (laughs) it means the idea. An outcry has come up from Sodom that the the, the sin that they're involved involved in is such a distress to them. It is destroying them and it's just weakening who they are. It's just, it's putrid to me. It's a cry of distress, the Bible says, of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's great. And because their sin is very grievous, and I will go down and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. This is amazing. And if not, for those of us that are thinking that God is some kind of vengeful God who is always sitting on the edge of a cloud, ready to unleash his wrath upon all those who don't follow him. He's not. He's just a just, merciful, good, awesome God. And now he's come down to earth. He's having dinner with Abraham. He's about to send two angels. Why? To go down there and give him what for. Okay, that's not why. To go down there and see. to be among it. Notice what the Bible says. Whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. The story is not 
about sin, please hear this, the story is about righteousness. And they have fallen short of my righteousness. Righteousness, again, meaning that which is just and good and holy. And because of their continual rebellion, I'm going to now go down there and I'm going to send two representatives to be among it. Not necessarily because Abraham or God didn't know, but for the sake of the one that he had set apart to represent him, the one that would be the one to bring blessing to everybody else. This story, please don't miss this. It's not necessarily about Lot and his family, nor Sodom and Gomorrah, as much as it is that, listen, there is a righteous God. And he's made things to be done one way. And if he allows it to go on without punishment, then we begin to think it's okay, do we not? How many of you are siblings? You have a brother or sister in the house. How many of you honestly saw your brother or sister maybe getting away with something and it told you that it was was okay? If, If they're getting away with it, then I can get away with it. But let me ask this question. How many of you younger siblings have watched older siblings not get away with it? And it caused you to do something different. Okay, this is what's happening. God has come down, not pulling his his pants up and strutting down there and, and whooping people. God has come in to say, I'm righteous, I'm holy. I've set apart Abraham and his family and I've got to tell Abraham what I'm doing because he's the one that's going to go forward and tell every generation to come of who I am and what my expectations are to do right, to follow me in righteousness in the way I've designed it. That's the story. Why? Because righteousness, number one, requires guidance. The Bible says our heart is desperately wicked. Man that is born of woman is full of trouble. We're naturally sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says we are automatically bent to go our own way, not God's way. That's the nature of man. Therefore, it needs guidance. It needs guidance. My Rustin is 12 years old. When he walks to a street, 90% of the time, he will look left and right because that was trained in him when he was little. Left to himself, he would go his own way. I remember when Ryland was about two years old, we had a training session, a purposeful training session to teach Ryland to obey. And we were sitting there in the living room watching a movie. Ryland was playing with toys. I said, Ryland, look at daddy. And he turns and looks. I said, come here. And he sat there and looked at me. I said, Ryland, daddy said, come. And so I got up and ministered some discipline and love. And let him sit there again. Ten minutes later, I said, hey, Ryland, come. This time he turned. He got on his knees literally and looked at me like he was going to obey me. Then he turned back around and sat. Don't tell me that that's not human nature bent to do its own thing, even at two. So we administered some love and discipline. We let him sit there another 10, 15 minutes. I said, Rylan, come to daddy. I'm not stretching it. Robin will verify. He stands up and he walks about halfway and he stops in his tracks. He's not to me. He's administering enough to think to satisfy me. Rylan, come on, come. He just looks at me, Okay. 
love and discipline. The fourth time he got up and came to me. And I picked him up and I held him and I loved him and said, good job, buddy, you obeyed daddy, that is awesome. Give me a high five and gave a little five and he went back and I called him again and he came and I called him again and he came and we continued to work on this. Why? Because obedience is submission without hesitation. You say, man, you're some kind of dictator. Well, praise the Lord, I trained him in that way. Because it was like probably, I would say he was two, so maybe a year later or so, we're out in front of the church at, down in Marana, Arizona, and, and the way the church works is the parking lot completely surrounds the church. There's a handicap ramp that goes down right into the parking lot, uh, and so we were standing out front talking after church on a Sunday night. Miss Serna, who was a little short woman with a handicapped husband, pulled out of the handicapped spot in her big conversion van, pulled around the parking lot, and was heading up to the ramp to get out of the the parking lot and Ryland took off running down the ramp. He got to the end of the ramp. I happened to look over. He was wide open. The van was coming. Ryland was running. I said, Ryland, stop. And he went and the van drove by right in front of him. And I sat there and said, thank God that I instilled in him some obedience, right? Okay. And he's obeyed me perfectly every time since then. (laughs) I'm just glad he did then. Church, righteousness has to be guided because it's just not naturally in us to do what God wants. And so God, over these last 25 years, has been guiding and guiding and guiding Abraham and Lot as well. But Lot went his own way and found himself down in the plains of Sodom. And the Bible says these two men are where they are. And God's going to use Abraham to be the example of the righteousness of God for every generation to come, even to today. That's why he's still known as the father of righteousness or the father of faith. And I've got to show, I've got to show Abraham what I'm going to do and why I'm doing it. He's got to be guided. Secondly, secondly, righteousness requires attention. Attention. Watch. I'm going to send these two men down to Sodom and give attention to what's going. I want them to go see. Hey, by the way, did God already know how bad it was? Yes, he did. He's God. But he wanted to see, well, let me back up. He wanted Abraham to see that he was giving attention to wrong. We cannot sweep wickedness under the rug. And I know, especially for some reason, not especially, but sometimes the Baptists have gotten a bad rap for, for being the people that like, we don't do anything but go to church. Right? Well, that, that shouldn't be our attitude, but here's the attitude. We cannot, we must not sweep sin under the rug and act like sin doesn't matter. We, we cannot stop preaching against sin. We cannot stop uh, recognizing and giving attention to what is sin. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot. And God did not. God came and he sent two men down there. Helping Abraham to recognize we've got to give attention to this. And if we're going to be righteous, we have to give attention to what is wrong and recognize it so that we don't do it. That's why there are highway patrol officers on the highway. You know why they're there? To give attention. 
to what's right and to what's wrong. How many of you have ever watched Fridays with Frank? Raise your hand. If you've never watched Fridays with Frank, that is hilarious. I, I, I think it's hilarious. It's this every Friday, Frank, who is a sheriff's deputy, gets videoed as he does his calls, okay? And uh, what's, what to me is amazing about Fridays with Frank is when he gets to the window, what he reveals. There was one in particular story. He's standing by the window of a guy in a pickup truck and he said, sir, you know, you're speeding. Oh, I didn't know I was speeding, man. He said, well, the speed, big white sign back there, big white sign said three, five on it, right, right back there. And you were doing like 50 something. And he's like, oh man, I didn't know. Can I have your driver's license? I don't have a driver's license. Well, did you know in the state of Arizona that you're required to have a driver's license to operate a motor vehicle? Well, I mean, I, yeah, I guess. I, well, you don't have one. Do you have your registration? I don't even know what that is. And you can see the frustration. Did you know that in the state of Arizona, you're... Re and then he says, sir, do I smell marijuana? He's like, well, maybe. When, when's the last time you, you took marijuana? He said, it was about four or five hours ago. He said, did you know that in the state of Arizona, you're not supposed to operate a motor vehicle while being impaired? Well, it was five hours ago. He said, how old are you? He said, I'm 19. Well, did you know that in the state of Arizona, you're not even supposed to consume marijuana until the age of 21? You understand what's happening? He is bringing attention to wrongdoing, even if the guy is just acting dumb, Right? And that's what has to be done. Why? Because left to ourselves, we're bent to go our own way. So we have to be sure to um, uh, set the example of it, to bring attention to it. And then lastly, to give judgment. To give judgment. And people don't like this word judgment. What kind of God brings judgment? And, and, and please, you say that about God and you hold God to a different standard than you hold yourself because you know you punish your own children. I hope you do. The Bible says if you don't discipline your children, you don't love them. I hope as an employer, if you have an employee that refuses to be on time, that eventually you'll fire them. That's called judgment. Correct? So, so we want God to be a righteous, perfect, holy, awesome God, but we don't want him to give judgment. But listen, righteousness and right demands judgment. It demands an example. It demands attention. It demands judgment. It has to be punished. It has to be taken care of. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, but we're being brought up in a culture right now, and our kids especially, where, where there ought not to be no ju any judgment and we should have the right to do anything we want to do because we just want to do it. D say that 10 times and you'll admit that doesn't make sense. And if it takes 10 times, we have another discussion. You know this to be so. And so when we look at this story, don't look at this, this God that's all messed up. Look at this God that created things perfect and righteous and holy. And he knew the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah and how every one of them would never turn to him and go their own way. And so he sends his wrath upon their sin. So let's walk through the story together this morning. Look in your Bibles, if you would, with me again at Genesis, yeah, Genesis chapter number 18. I want us to see what the Lord has for us in this passage. Genesis chapter 18, most of you are there. Let me get there as well to where I can see this a little bit better. 
Genesis chapter number 18. Let's go, um, let's jump to verse 23. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be 50 righteous within the city. Okay, so here's what's happening. Now Abraham's carrying on a conversation with God. The angels are standing there. They're about to go down to Sodom. Abraham knows exactly what God is going to do. He's going to punish wrongdoing, wickedness, and sin. And Abraham says, if there's 50 good people there, will you burn the whole city up for 50? And God said, no, I'm a merciful God. I'm a good, righteous God. Abraham's smart enough to know how bad this city is. He said, how about 40? No, I won't burn it up for 40. Abraham says, okay, um, I know you're a good God. You're a righteous God. You're a holy God. How about 30? God says, no, I won't destroy it for 30. Are you hearing the grace of God? Do you see the mercy of Almighty God? Does God have the right as being God to wipe them all out? If they are sinners, absolutely. Okay, well, well how, about, how about 25? So he goes from tens to now fives. 25? No, I won't burn it up. 20? No, won't burn it up. 15? No. Can you imagine the patience at this morning? Please, I want you to see God in a new light. I don't want you to see him as a vengeful, wrathful God punishing sinners, although he is, and we have to view him that way if we're going to see him in his holiness. But I want you to see how long it took, how long God debated with Abraham. 15? No. How about 10? 10? No, you find 10 righteous people down there, I won't do it. What a God. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance, mean turning to him from their way. Hey guys, can we do something together today with our thinking caps on? Can I show you briefly how absolutely wicked mankind can get? in the seriousness of this service. This bothers my heart. Personally, when I read God's word, every time I come across this story, this bothers my heart. Notice what the Bible says here. Let's skip down to verse number, let's start with uh, chapter one of verse number 19. And there came two angels to Sodom at eventide or at evening, and Lot sat in the gate of, the, of Sodom. By the way, Lot's not in his house with his three or four righteous family members. Lot is sitting in the gate where they're all sitting. In their culture, that's what they did. They would come like old men at Hardee's. We called it Hardee's. Y'all call it Carl's Jr. I was raised in the South. It's called Hardee's. If you go to Hardee's on pretty much any morning, it's, the lobby's full of a bunch of old men eating sausage biscuits, drinking coffee, and talking. And it doesn't have any, uh, the variety is huge. It, the, the mayor could be there if it's a little town. You know, the police officers could be in there. They're all just sitting there yakking. Now, this is what is happening. They're sitting at the gate. This is where the leaders sit. This is where those in authority sit and just talk, carry on conversations and handle business. They're at the gate and a lot of sitting with them. Watch. By the way, in a minute, you're going to go, how could he sit at the gate knowing what he knows about them? The Bible says, and he bowed himself with his face to the ground. He recognized that these men were different. And he said, behold now, my Lord, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, meaning come to my house and tarry all night. You can sleep with us and wash your feet and you shall rise up early and go on your way. Abraham had just done that a little north. Same, same hospitality. 
The Bible says, and they said, nay, but we will abide in the street all night. Remember, God had sent them down there to be among them to see how things were faring in the city. And he pressed upon them greatly. No, you can't do that. You can't be in the city with these people. I know what happens in this city when the sun goes down. I know the wickedness that's in this city when that happens. No, no, come into my house. You need to come inside my house. You need to get out of the streets. You need to get out of the way. You need to come and be with me. The Bible says, and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread and they did eat. But before they lay down, watch, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, come past the house around. Please, please understand what is happening. There wasn't two or three men standing at the door knocking and saying, give us those two good looking men that just came in so we can have our way with them. The Bible says the men of the city, so many of them, they've surrounded Lot's entire complex. They're all around the house. Do you see the wickedness? It's not one, it's not two. These are all these men wanting to be with these other two men. The Bible says in verse five, and they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And that's all I'm gonna say. You're adults, wrap your minds around it. What it says is exactly what you're thinking. Let us have them. Send them out. Guys, I want you to see how vile sin is. The Bible says that after they cried out to them and Lot went out the door unto them and shut the door after him. Do you see it? Do you see the scenario? They're pressing. You ever seen the, the TV show or if you've done it before, he slides out the door. Now the door's shut behind them. They're all pressed up against him. The Bible says, behold, now and I have two daughters which have not known man. I'm telling you, this is vile. How do you get this sinful? How do you get this wicked? That as a father, you would trade the two men in the house for your two girls and send them outside so that they can do with these girls as they please. If you don't think sin's horrible, that it'll take you further than you ever wanna be. We as God's people have gotta wake up. We are letting our kids and our families go out into the vileness of this world and just shoving them out the door and trading them for comfort and trading it for ease and trading it to make it easier and trade. We've gotta stand up. This is wicked. It is vile. This is sin. And this is the culture we're living in. You say, that's Sodom. This is craziness. We're watching this stuff happen in America. And acting as if it's okay. All based upon feelings and love and decisions and choices. I'm telling you, it's not okay. It is sin. It is vile. And God will judge. You say, but pastor, we're the church. And the church is the one that is supposed to be the Abraham of the story that is standing up on the hill, 
begging God not to unleash his wrath and living righteously and holy so that other generations might know. And yet the church, honestly, not necessarily new life, I would hope not, and I, would, I believe not, but the church is the one who's just as involved in this. It's crazy. The Bible says, and Lot went out the door and shut it. He said, behold, I have two daughters in verse eight would have not known men. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do unto them as it is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. So did your children, Lot. And they said, stand back. Stand back, Abraham. We're coming through the door. We're gonna get what we want. And they said again, this is one fellow came into the sojourn. He will need to be a judge. Now we will deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men, the men inside, the two inside, put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Praise the Lord for the rescue. Praise the Lord for God's wonderful love and sovereignty to come in. And I think one of the statements that kind of rattled me the most at the end of this is the people were outside the door were great and small. It, were, it wasn't just the big man of the city. The word small there is not talking about they were 10 foot or set 10 foot. There were seven foot men and five foot men, great and small men's of all ages pressing to do this work. Crazy. The Bible says, and the men said unto Lot, hast thou here any besides you? Basically, he says, son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whosoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because of the cry of them is waxen great, the face of the Lord, before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters and said, up, get you out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. Notice this next phrase. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. The, the book of Proverbs says there's, there's several types of people. There, there is the wise and the fool, and then there is the one that mocks the wise. That's the fool that's gone beyond, and now they're to the point of mocking. There could be somebody sitting here right now saying, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want to. That preacher up there, he's just an old fogey. He's ridiculous. He doesn't know what he's saying. He's just, he's just following his own little trend. I'm going to keep, and you're mocking. Or your friends would mock, or family members would mock. You guys are just those Bible-thumping Christian people. They go to church every Sunday. Hey, we're, we're not going to get wrapped up into your little, little, little world. We're going to keep doing this. This is awesome. This is amazing. This is, you're crazy. He's not going to destroy. That's ridiculous. So, so now there's mocking going on by the sons-in-law. And when the moving, uh, excuse me, and when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Get out. 
Go, get them. Can you imagine? It would be kind of like us. And, and, and I don't mean to overly emphasize what's not there, but I do think we see this. Get out of the city. God's about to destroy it. He's going to destroy it now. I, I'm getting out. Hold on. I got some outfits we need to pack. And I'll be right back. Let me hit the closet. And, and so the wife is over here, and she's grabbing up a couple of things. I'm telling you, when God says wrath is coming, you don't need to take another outfit. You don't need to hang on to anything else. You don't need to try to bind yourself to something that is not worth having. When God says move, we need to say yes and quit trying to collect everything that we can keep from the old way. And finally, the Bible says that the angels had had enough and he grabs their arms. We've got to go. This city is literally about to be burned up. Notice what the Bible says. And when the morning arose, again, I just read that. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters and the Lord being merciful to them. And they brought him forth and set him out of the city. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth that he said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And here Lot's going to debate with them and basically, say, please don't make me go to the mountain. Let me run to this other little city. You ever been in those moments, whether it be with your children or somebody else's, where you shake your head and you go, man, you're not getting it. I'm tired. I'm trying to tell you over and over again the damage you're doing. Can you imagine the angels? At what point, Lot, are you just going to trust God and listen to him? Okay, fine, go. He gets there and he realizes it's not well there, but the Bible says finally God unleashes his wrath upon the city. Notice in verse number 22, haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth and Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities uh, and that which grew upon the ground. He unleashes his wrath. By the way, by the way, even Disney um, had this show about two or three years ago where they were um, debating archaeological biblical things. And even their scientists and archaeologists did not understand why in that area there were uh, underneath the surface of the ground mounds of molten rock when there was none anywhere else. Why there's a plain there full of salt when there's none anywhere else. I'm telling you, you may not believe what I'm telling you, but God did this work and it's still evidenced today. He consumed Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. Well, there's no archeological evidence that this city ever existed. You're right. It got burned completely. There was nothing left. God did what he said. You, you, say, you say, Pastor, you're being very overly bold about the wrath. Yes, because I think you and I both, and I'm preaching to this man all week long, that we take so lightly sin as if God did it to them, but he's not going to do it to us. 
He's the same God. And he's just as righteous today as he was in Abraham's. God deals with sin. Notice, notice together one more time. The Bible says, now wife's, uh, Lot's wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and behold, or, and beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up and, uh, and the smoke of a furnace, as the smoke of a furnace. And the crazy thing is, a couple of moments later, the daughters of the two sons-in-law who just got burned up commit a horrible act with their father as if, why? Do you see how powerful sin is? I'm gonna walk down. I've spent more time in the text than on the notes and I'm fine with that. But just for the sake of seeing it, let's walk down. Wickedness and sin, this is how it plays out. Number one, sin and its power. It takes us further than we wanna go. As the old song says, and it makes us stay longer than we planned. Sin is powerful. The Bible says in James 1.14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived it, bringing forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringing forth death. Number two, sin and its persuasion. Do you think sin was pretty persuasive? Yeah, I think it was. So persuasive that even the sons-in-law didn't want to leave it. Ha, you're kidding. It's never bothered me now. Sin's never hurt me now. How can it hurt me later? You're just overboard, Lot. Quit being ridiculous. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Sin and its pull Here's, here's Lot's wife and they are escaping at the hand of the angel when God unleashes his wrath and she hears it. You say, that's not fair. God said, don't look back. It's not worth it. And I believe if we look into the text, she didn't just look back. She probably looked back with remorse. All that I had there. Really? All that you had there was better than the wickedness was there. Hey, by the way, don't, don't pick on Lot's wife. Well, if I have to give that up, then I'm gonna have to give this up and I just really like this and, and so I don't wanna give those things up. And if I, if I stop doing that, I won't have the friends that I used to have. And I know God says I'll punish for this, but I really love those friends. And if I, if I stop doing that, I won't get to have this pleasure. And, and there's all, we're always juggling just like Lot's wife did when she turned back around and said, oh man, oh. and into salt she became. The point is, in every one of our lives, we, we do this debating act. Why? Because there's such a pull. There's such a pull. Man, my friends at school, man, they're super cool, and I want to be like them, and, 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 and I, I, I want to listen to what they have to say. That's why I'm sitting here, and there was a part of me, and I, again, I'm not singling out one little group of girls because I don't know what's going to happen and, and the decisions those girls are going to make someday. But as a pastor, I stood up there, and I'm just like happy, and then a part of me was sad because I began to think about this, and I thought, Lord, somebody's going to convince one of those girls to turn their back on you, and they're going to listen because it was cooler to do this and more exciting to do that. I'm telling you, the pull of sin is real. And we know that it is. 
And we would rather take the wrath and the punishment and all the brokenness that comes with our decisions and not rest in God. There's a pull, number four, there's a punishment. We saw that in the reading, then smoke arose and God will deal with sin. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Hey, by the way, just for a moment, would you give me just, I know it's 946 and I want to close this out, but I want you to hear this. Here's punishment for immorality. Flee fornication. By the way, fornication is not necessarily adultery. It's any sin done with the body outside the confines of marriage. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Proverbs 6.32, but whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding, and he that doeth it destroyeth his soul. Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. How about your tongue, the way you use your tongue? James 3, 6, and the tongue is a fire, a word of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. Proverbs 19, verse 5 says, a false witness shall, this is a liar, a false witness shall not be unpunished and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. Alcohol, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without a cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. The last, the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. These are not my words. By the way, these are not Baptist words. Well, I expected that because I'm in a Baptist church. Every church that preaches the Bible should be preaching the same Bible. It's not a movement. It's not a denomination. It's not a pastor's opinion. These are the words of God. God punishes sin. Lastly, sin and its persistence. And if you think it's going to ease up, it's not. The two daughters and their continued wickedness. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't, don't obey it. There's gotta be a point. Guess what, Guess what two-letter word you can say? You, you know what you can say? No. Hey, it's all right. No. I know your parents say you can't do this, but it's all right. No. Look, all of us are doing this. I mean, it's just a part of who we are. It's our culture. No, I'm not. Well, why not? Because I'm going to do what I was designed to do. I'm going to be what God's purpose for me to be. And then they're going to laugh and mock, and that's okay. I I can't promise you that's not going to happen. It's going to happen. But the Bible says I would rather suffer for doing right than deal with the sufferings I get for doing wrong. Totally different worlds. Let's close with this and I'm done. Righteousness lived out. How do I live a righteous life? Can we go back to the beginning of our text? Look back at verse number 19. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him in what? What is he going to command them? Number one, that they shall keep the way of the Lord. The word keep there means to guard, to protect. 
It's not the idea of obedience. It's the idea of taking what God says and, and counting it as important and protecting that. And that's what we should be doing, right? We, we should protect that. Fair enough. I have recently, and I, I'm being careful, you, you've noticed, I'm trying to bring out illustrations that are helpful. I've recently been criticized. This is just my, I, I gotta be so careful. This is my belief and my understanding and conviction of God. I've been completely um, uh, picked on and literally picked on and, and, and laughed at, scorned, because I may not let uh, my daughter go to a pool with a bunch of other boys in a, in a bikini. I, I've been picked on for that. I'm okay with that. But here's the crazy thing. If I walked into your bedroom, ladies, and I visited your house and you were standing there in your undergarments, would you dive behind the bed? Yes, you would. But then you can go stand by a pool in the same amount of cloth I don't need to visualize you singing and serving the Lord like I saw you by the pool. So that's why I won't go to your pool parties. I don't want that lust to hit my heart and my mind and my brain. I just won't do it. And I love you. And me and my family may do something private together as a family, but this is why. I hope that makes sense. If it doesn't, I can't help that. But I want to protect what other guys are thinking. When my daughter is standing up here singing a solo, I don't want them to visualize what they saw the Saturday night before. I just, I just if she's going to dive behind the bed when you come into her bedroom changing clothes, then, then I want her to dive into some clothing when we go to the pool. And I know it sounds crazy. I know it's like, oh, that's so far-fetched. It's, it's just what God's convicted my heart about. So... I'm okay with the laughing. I'm okay to trade that because I want to keep. And what she does after she graduates, that'll be between her and God and she moves on to her life and gets out her knee from daddy's rules. I, I get all that. But I'm responsible now. Does that make sense? I hope it does. I hope there's a little logic behind that. And we could go down through so many lists of things that each of you have made decisions to protect your family from different sins and things, and it's okay. Follow God. Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. Well, that's just old fogey. It is what it is. Number two, do right. Notice what he says. For I know him that he will command his children and household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice. The word justice means to do righteously, to do right. Just do right. Just do right. Just do right. What is right? What God says. What he says in his word. Thirdly. Thirdly. To act according to God's direction. Act according to God's direction. So I'm going to choose to do right, and when God directs, I'm going to act according to what he says. It's not just choosing sin versus righteousness. It is walking in the acts of God and the direction of God. Are there things in your life that we let in that God calls wicked? Does it grieve you? I know, I know it's, I, I, oh, there's so much my heart is heavy about but I believe if we're Christians, we have to be set apart. 
He's too righteous and holy for us to remain what we are. And if we're going to set an example for a lost and dying world, there's got to be something different about us to impact them. It's just got to be. And there's got to come a point where we're grieved by sin. Can I ask this question? When you're watching the TV shows and sin runs across it, do you go, oh, that grieves me? I remember when I was 15 years old and I, I used a slang term for a homosexual. I'll never forget it. My teacher, I was in a Christian school. I called a guy a, a slang term. He took me and led me to the principal's office. They called my parents. I got punished. And that same word today, if it were to roll across a screen or a scene of a homosexual couple were to roll across a screen, we just laugh at it. You see where we've gotten? God still calls it Sin. That's the point I'm trying to make. God's people have to be moved by what moves God. And if God inspects it, we should inspect it, right? I know this is a heavy message. I get it. I knew it would. I've already asked men in the church to be praying because I was waited about today. But I would not be a pastor or a shepherd that I would be if I did not warn you of the power of sin in your life. And I don't want to see your homes wrecked. One of my dearest friends on the planet, I just got a phone call a week and a half ago. And he committed a sinful act against his wife and I would have never imagined it. If it can happen to a pastor friend missionary, it can happen to any one of us in this room. But the Bible says God is faithful. He is faithful and with temptation, he's given us a way of escape and that is his wonderful righteousness that we can follow and do right no matter what. I don't care who laughs at it, no matter what. Les, this is what the story is about. If you don't believe it, go to Romans chapter one and read what God said there. In Romans chapter one, he didn't say that he punished Sodom and Gomorrah because of homosexuality. He said homosexuality was the punishment. You raised your hand against God and said, no, fine, have your way and see what it does to you as a culture. And we're seeing that. Make sense? How do you close out a message like this other than just saying, God, help me to know your thoughts, your ways, and teach the next generation. Father, we, we need you today. We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about Him and as you study His Word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church podcast.